Week one is now less than three months away at Lumen Field. Russell Wilson and his new team will be coming to face the Seahawks on Monday night football. What else has changed for the Broncos? We're going to be breaking down one of Seattle's upcoming opponents on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We're now less than six weeks away from the start of training camp. It's going to be a slow crawl to the return of football, but it'll be here before we know it. Plenty to talk about, including Seattle's upcoming week one opponent, the Denver Broncos. We're going to be taking a look at what's new in the Mile High City, away from just the new quarterback that's familiar to Seahawk fans. And we'll be continuing our 90-player countdown with numbers 80 through 76 on a jam-packed Tuesday episode. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's been more than three months since the Seahawks officially parted ways with star quarterback Russell Wilson, but there are still some breadcrumbs that are being left on the trail. What really went down that led to Wilson's exit from Seattle and the latest coming from yours truly, some intel that I verified with multiple sources. We were told by Russell Wilson himself over a year ago after Brian Schottenheimer was fired that he was fully supportive of Schottenheimer. He did not support the firing. That may not necessarily be the case, though, Rob. And this really goes it fits well with all the other information that we have at this point about what happened with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and the coaching staff, differences in offensive ideologies, the way the second half of the 2020 season played out. There was certainly a lot of frustration on Wilson's part. And behind the scenes, he and his camp were pushing buttons to get a new offensive coordinator. And as we know, they ended up doing so with a guy they handpicked in Shane Waldron. Yeah, as it turns out, Corb, it looks like Russell Wilson uh, and his representation were, were doing a lot of kind of work behind the scenes. I mean, obviously, it uh, it, it played a role um, in, in Seattle making that that transition um, through offensive coordinators. It obviously played a, a very big role in Russell Wilson no longer being a quarterback with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I, I think to me what you use the analogy of the breadcrumbs and I, the analogy I was thinking of um, was just kind of peeling away some layers of the onion. And I think that this is natural to happen. Anytime a star player leaves, um, you know, there, there's going to be some stories about, Oh, maybe things weren't quite as rosy as people might think. And this is not a witch hunt, of course, here, uh, you know, against Russell Wilson or Brian Schottenheimer for that matter, or Pete Carroll or, John Schneider, anybody else. Um, but it, it is kind of fascinating to see the relationship behind the scenes and, and what led to people being fired. Um, and I think it's all the more interesting considering the fact that the Russell Wilson had some of his best seasons with Brian Schottenheimer. Obviously, Seattle had a great deal of success with Schottenheimer um, as uh, Russell Wilson's play caller and offensive coordinator. So I, it is surprising to me, disappointing a little bit. Um, but at the same time, um, I guess in a way it's not surprising because, again, we, we have had some evidence here recently that maybe Russell Wilson was not all that he was cracked up to be, at least in some people's opinions. 
Yeah, you mentioned the production, the three seasons that Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson averaged 35 touchdown passes and nearly 4,000 passing yards per year. He had a quarterback rating of 107.2. The Seahawks made the playoffs all three seasons, but they didn't do much damage in the postseason. And you look at the way that 2020 season transpired. 28 touchdown passes in the first eight games for Russell Wilson on fire. The Seahawks are letting Russ cook. It's all well documented. We saw what happened at the midway point of the season. A couple really rough games against the Rams and the Bills. And Pete Carroll's panicking a little bit. Let's pull back the reins. We can't have all those turnovers. And suddenly this offense went from being the most potent in the NFL to being in the bottom half of the league the last eight weeks. And they continued in the playoffs with a 30-20 to 20 loss to the Rams in the wild card round, a game that really wasn't that close. The offense struggled throughout that game. And at that point, even though Russell Wilson, after Schottenheimer's firing was announced, even though Russell Wilson stepped up to bat for him, if you had been paying any attention to the way things had transpired in the previous two months, you could see the on-field frustration, the inability to adjust the lack of tempo, not having enough no huddle. And obviously tempo is not just about no huddle, but mixing things up. And those were some things that Russell Wilson spoke about publicly in press conferences. Pete Carroll talked about it. And I think that's maybe the most interesting thing when you look back now at what transpired the last two years, last offseason with all the trade rumors. Wilson ends up sticking around and playing a 10th season in Seattle before he gets traded this March. You look back at, how that season unfolded and it becomes very apparent that both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson were frustrated by what was going on on the play calling side of things, not being able to adjust to those two deep safety looks and not acclimating the offense the way that they wanted it to be down the stretch. And they were going to make some adjustments, revisit things, but it's clearly evident that both men for different reasons, both men were very interested in a fresh start at the offensive coordinator position. Pete Carroll pulls the plug, philosophical differences. Shane Waldron comes in. Russell Wilson's got a heavy hand making that selection as the new offensive coordinator. And a little over a year later, it obviously didn't pan out the way Wilson or the Seahawks or Pete Carroll, for that matter, hoped that it would. And it just really paints the picture that this is not just Russell Wilson shouldering the blame. It's Pete Carroll. It's Brian Schottenheimer. It's John Schneider. Everybody had a piece of the pie that ultimately led to, as a source told me, this relationship, this marriage not working out anymore. Not just with Schottenheimer, but between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Yeah, and, and you know, I, again, that, that's not surprising. I mean, just like everybody deserves some of the credit, everybody deserves some of the blame. But, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of things specifically, um, you know, just trying to, to be a little bit more specific rather than talking in, in kind of vague terms that I, I thought was an issue that Russell Wilson could have been better at and one that um, that, that Brian Schottenheimer could have been better at as, as well. Um, specifically with Wilson, we, we talked about this before, just the inability to throw consistently over the middle, especially to the tight ends. That That is absolutely going to be a, a, a basic uh, function of any offense that is going to run the football the way that Seattle does. That is going to ask the big play, uh, you know, passes over the top there's going to of course that's going to force the safeties back and that's going to create this huge gap over the middle and that is something your quarterback has to be able to 
to attack. And, and Russell Wilson has never shown, at least not consistently, the ability to be able to do that. Um, and so that's something that, frankly, I think that Russell Wilson uh, deserves plenty of criticism uh, in, in his game. But at the same time, in terms of tempo, um, in, in terms of just getting the play call down to the field quickly enough. I mean, there was just so many times where you would see the play the, the play clock getting down and Wilson basically kind of frustrated um, and, and then trying to spit out the play call and then they have to call a timeout instead. And how many games were decided by Seattle basically not having enough timeouts? And, and some of that was because of, of the decisions Pete Carroll made to challenge plays or whatever, but a lot of them were due to the office just failing to have any type of rhythm because of play calling. And so that just by definition has to kind of go back to the play caller, of course, uh, Schottenheimer. So I think that again, there is plenty of blame to go around. Um, I, I just thought that it was, you know, kind of surprising, uh, to, to get this feel considering how public Russell Wilson was in supporting Schottenheimer to now get this idea that that behind the scenes he was not quite that genuine um, is a little bit con uh, disconcerting, especially because obviously uh, those of us who are our football fans um, want to see Russell Wilson be successful in Denver. And so it's going to be interesting to see how well that their coaches acclimate if Russell Wilson is really kind of the, the puppet master behind the scenes that he has got to be able to kind of control things. Otherwise, he's not going to be happy. It all goes back to the idea that Russell Wilson wants to be the centerpiece of the offense, and he didn't feel like in Seattle, regardless of who the coordinator was, that ultimately that happened. And then it goes back to Pete Carroll with wanting to run the football more and having more of an old-school-style offense. Things just weren't matching up anymore. You add in the fact that the Seahawks, you know, 2018, were looking at Josh Allen and his pro day. They flirted with other quarterbacks. There were a lot of other factors that really stacked up upon each other that led to this divorce. But there's no question that a key turning point, Brian Schottenheimer, end of 2020 season, struggling, Russell Wilson struggling in that offense, changing coordinators, and things just didn't pan out as hoped. That really was that last straw that led to both sides deciding now is the time to move on. And that's why we're where we're at, where, as we'll be discussing Later in the show, the Denver Broncos now have Russell Wilson under center. The Seahawks are going to have a new quarterback and a youth-infused roster when those two teams meet in week one. We'll be breaking down the Broncos later in the show. But first, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown with numbers 80 through 76 coming up next. At BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and locked on sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKED ON. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got our live NBA draft show. 
Coming up on Locked On, the entire NBA channel is going live on NBA Draft Night. So if you have a favorite NBA team, make sure you subscribe now to the Locked On YouTube channel so you can get notified when they go live on NBA Draft Night. Continuing our 90-player countdown, we've gone through our first 11 players. The Seahawks technically have 90 players now on the roster after releasing Alex Changham recently. But we are now to numbers 80 through 76, continuing to take a close look at every player that's expected to participate in Seahawks training camp. We've got a few familiar names and a few not-so-familiar names on today's list. And we're going to start off looking at one that is a returning player, Rob. Number 80, Jared Hewitt, coming from Virginia Tech, was an undrafted rookie signee last year, played the entire season on the practice squad, did not dress for any games, but clearly the Seahawks liked what they saw because they brought him back for a second season with hopes maybe he could take that next step and and maybe he can play in some games at some point this season. Yeah, and and Jared Hewitt's a good football player. Um, He is, at the same time, I also wonder if he is not a better fit in a typical 4-3 alignment rather than the 3-4 scheme that we're expecting Seattle to primarily use. He's 6'1", 290 pounds. Um, You know, for for people who are familiar with the University of Washington, um, they had a Morris Trophy Award winner a couple of years ago, Greg Gaines, now defensive tackle with uh, Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. And similar kind of players. Um, Short, stumpy, um, very, I would give uh, Hewitt a little bit of uh, advantage in terms of his lateral quickness, his agility. He's more of a slitherer rather than a stump at the point of attack the way that Gaines is, but still a, a very effective, try-hard kind of a player who is on the outside looking in at this point, but this guy is a, a bit of a playmaker, and, and so that's why I think he's going to be one of those players that we really need to kind of keep an eye on uh, during training camp, during the preseason, see if he's able to make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. That's what he has to do if he's going to be able to make this roster. You mentioned the scheme fit. That is the biggest concern for me at this point. I think if they were still running mostly four-man fronts, I think that his ability as a penetrator, having that quick first step, disruptive one-gapping would be a better fit. I just don't know at his size and with his playing style that he's going to be able to hold up as a three-tech or a four-eye where he's going to have to mirror step and there's going to be some double teams. I don't know that he can play against those types of fronts. But we'll find out because he does have a motor. He plays hard, so maybe he'll prove people wrong. And I think at 290 pounds, you can play those positions, but you have to have great technique and great discipline to go along with your physicality. So he's going to be tested. And as you mentioned, right now, he is on the outside looking in, but certainly a player that could move up the depth chart some if he has a strong training camp and plays well in the preseason. Coming in at number 79, another player that's returning, didn't spend most of the year with the Seahawks, was only on the practice squad for a brief while, but Lakeem Williams coming from the Tacoma region, another local kid, what a route he had to the NFL, was at a junior college for two years, then went cross-country to Syracuse. His senior season had 110 total tackles at just 220 pounds. Rob, he's a very undersized player to be playing as an off-ball linebacker in the NFL. At the same time, if you've seen clips of this guy lifting weights, he squats 500-plus pounds. He's way stronger than you would expect him to be, and he's got great sideline-to-sideline quickness and speed, can play some coverage. So Lakeem Williams is kind of one of my sleepers in the linebacker spot. I think he's going to be hard-pressed to make this football team, but with the athletic traits that he has, 
the underrated physicality, the tackling ability, his special teams capabilities. He's another player to keep an eye on, especially if Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan can't make it back early in the season and they start on the pup list. A player like Williams could be the beneficiary. He absolutely could. He took the words right out of my mouth right there. I mean, the, the fact that Seattle does have some questions, um, you know, in terms of the the depth at linebacker, obviously Bobby Wagner is not there. Obviously KJ Wright is not there, but with Radigan and BBK also, um, you know, very likely not to be ready to go, at least in the case of Radigan, uh, you know, in the start of training camp, then that's going to give Akeem Williams a lot, a lot more opportunities uh, to really show what he can do. Uh, you you kind of touched the Upon his strength, um, again, his agility, his quickness. Um, he does have pretty long arms. He knows how to use them well. He really lassos ball carriers very, very nicely. He does have strength to rip them down. So he kind of punches above his weight class, so to speak. Um, you mentioned that he's undersized, but I think that he plays with that kind of chip on his shoulder that you have to if you're going to be playing undersized. Um, so to me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Shaquem Griffin in that I think that he can play a bit of a role as a, a special teams demon and he's going to have to if he's going to want to make this roster yeah that's really going to be where he has the best chance <clears throat> of making this football team and i think you can make the same argument for our next player on the list coming in at 78 really this episode's all about the williamses deontay williams coming from nebraska an undrafted rookie safety one of four undrafted safeties that the seahawks signed and you may remember rob our good friend jim Nagy was on the show a few weeks ago and Williams was the player that he outlined as his undrafted free agent to watch. And we said, who's this year's Jake Curhan? He said Deontay Williams. Now, he has some things that are working against him. He's old for rookie standards. He's 25 years old. You don't see very many 25-year-old rookies coming into the league. And he's also had some injury issues at Nebraska that prevented him from playing extended periods of time. So when you've got an injury history and you're old, that is not a good combination. But he's got size. He's got plus athleticism. He's played both safety positions. And you watch his film in Nebraska when he's healthy. You see a draftable caliber player. He's got some other things that have worked against him, especially the injury history that led to him not getting selected. But this might be one of those backup safeties. We talked about the special teams value for Lakeem Williams. If a player like Deontay Williams can make an impact on special teams during training camp in the preseason, maybe could push for a spot on this roster, especially with so many players set to hit the market next year at the position. Seattle's going to have interest in keeping one or two of these guys around to develop, at least on the practice squad. Maybe Williams could be that guy. He could be that guy. He he is a good football player. Um, he is not the elite athlete. Uh, that another safety we're going to be talking about here in a moment, Joey Blunt um, from Virginia. Um, Blunt actually wound up having a, a pretty terrific workout at his pro day. That was not the case with Williams. Uh, just a shade under six foot, 203 pounds, around a four, five, nine, 33 inch vertical. Not real explosive numbers, but I tell you what, I, I watched his tape. This is a big, strong guy. Um, he's got good ball skills, and he had an interception. Corbin against Michigan. Nebraska is down like literally like 56 to three or something like that. And this kid lays out in the end zone for an interception that just 
screams his competitiveness, uh, showed his ball skills. Um, it, it's exactly the kind of thing that I'm sure the Seahawks and any other scouts who were there, they absolutely wrote something in their notes like, this is the kind of player we want on our roster. So that's why he's there. Obviously, safety is a, is a huge position of strength for Seattle. But at the same time, good football players are good football players. Jim Nagy is right to be pointing this kid out. Let's go to another player that's a returning second-year undrafted player, spent all of last year on the practice squad, and he's going to be battling for a backup spot on the offensive line, and that is Greg Island, who at one point looked like he was going to be a day-three selection coming out of Mississippi State. And, Rob, he started a lot of games in the SEC at multiple positions. You don't see six-foot-eight guys playing guard, and yet Island played a handful of games at left guard. He played left tackle. He played right tackle. There were clear and obvious technical issues that needed to be cleaned up coming into the league, particularly his footwork is pretty sloppy. But he had all of last year to learn under Mike Solari, the veterans Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell, the experience, the versatility that he brings to the table. And there's not a lot of competition necessarily on that left side behind his current and former teammate in Charles Cross. They played together with the Bulldogs. There's a slim opening there for Island if he can really make a jump technique-wise that maybe he could end up pushing for a backup spot at left tackle. The issue, of course, is Stone Forsythe and Jake Curhan, particularly Forsythe, can play on the left side. Those two right now, they seem primed to be your backups with Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross, the ones the Seahawks want to win the starting jobs right off the bat as rookies. With those four, it is going to be challenging for a fifth guy to get a spot on this roster, but Island's versatility maybe gives him a slim shot. Yeah, I think that it absolutely gives him a shot. Um, you know, he is just massive. I mean, it's, you Huge. know, he looks of, like a power forward. He, he does. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the joke with some of the scouts used to be that his last name is Island. He's really a continent. I mean, because the man is just massive. I mean, six, eight, 320 pounds. He, he is fairly light on his feet for a man of that size. Um, and as you mentioned, the positional versatility that he showed uh, at Mississippi State going against elite, elite SEC competition, of course. Um, you, you like the fact that, that he is a former teammate of Charles Cross. And so if he were to stay on Seattle's roster, might be able to help the young rookie along a little bit more than maybe some other players might. Obviously, Island doesn't have much experience himself, but he has some. And Charles Cross is an exceptionally young player coming out as just a redshirt sophomore. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as well. And then again, what Island can do, I mentioned before, for a big man, he is pretty light on his feet, does have pretty good balance, and certainly has long reach. And he is an imposing player on the move uh, in the run block. And I think ideally, uh, you know, what he could project out, uh, you know, is with uh, in the right system, could be like a Trent Brown kind of a guy. Um, I mean, he can be that, that kind of a player. I mean, he has some pass block ability, some balance, and again, that experience. But at the same time, that's not the kind of offense that Seattle wants to run. So I think really the island is going to kind of come in and be competing for that backup spot. And if he can be uh, reliable, uh, swinging both on both left and right tackle positions, obviously that just bodes well for his being able to stick on the Seattle's roster uh, that much more. And capping off this last cluster, you already threw the name out there. We mentioned Deontay Williams, one of the other undrafted safeties that Seattle signed, Joey Blunt coming out of Virginia. And I love that you mentioned his pro day because when I went back and looked at the pro day numbers, I started to wonder with the production 
that Blunt had at Virginia, being a guy that started a lot of games in the ACC. I know it was down last year compared to previous seasons, but still, the ACC has been one of the best conferences in college football, and Blunt was one of the best safeties in the conference, and he's a better athlete, I think, than people realize. I didn't expect the numbers looking at the film that I watched. I didn't expect his testing numbers to be quite as good as they were at Virginia's Pro Day. And he put up those numbers and somehow didn't get drafted. One of the bigger surprises to me at the safety spot that he didn't get picked at some point on day three. And he is a player that's gotten a lot of looks in OTAs and minicamp with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs being out. Deontay Williams has an uphill battle because of his age and injury history. It feels like Blunt, though, and we'll talk about Bubba Bolden in a later episode, but it feels like those two right now have the inside edge of the four undrafted safeties, and they've gotten the most looks, the most experience in the practice field to this point. Yeah, we've talked about this before, Corbin. Seattle's undrafted class of safeties is is pretty damn impressive. Uh, it really is. I mean, it, it's almost uh, sad that, that Seattle has uh, the the all stars that they they have already starting. Um, because again, I, I think that there are some potential NFL players here that if they don't make Seattle's roster, then a guy like Bolden, a guy like uh, Williams, a guy like um, the aforementioned uh, Blunt here could wind up making an NFL roster, not just a practice squad, the actual roster. Yeah. Um, when, when you watch Blunt on, on tape, um, you you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I don't see a guy who is quite as athletic as the the four fours that he ran, um, you know, but at the same time, I definitely see a guy who did show good ball skills, who is a heck of a tackler. I really like yeah, the tenacity. Yeah. yeah, the tenacity, physicality, the closing speed, really instinctive football player. Um, there's an awful lot of things to like about this kid on tape. So, again, I, I'm excited to see how Seattle's uh, undrafted free agent crop of safeties, that all pans out because there are some really good football players there. Yeah, that quartet is going to be fun to watch because they all bring different things to the table. They all have special team skills. A couple of them are really young players. you got the elder statesman in Deontay Williams, Nelson kind of in the mid-ground there. Yeah. But all four of those guys, I think, are going into this process, at least with an outside chance if they can play on special teams. To make some noise, you might keep two or three of these guys on the practice squad because there is some uncertainty with Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi heading towards free agency, the injuries that Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams have had. Ryan Neal's going to be a free agent too. So there are some long-term questions depth-wise at that safety position. These players have a chance to play themselves into a future roster spot as early as this year or maybe a year or two down the road. Coming up next, we are getting closer to the regular season, which means it's start. it's time to start previewing our upcoming Seahawks schedules. We're going to open with week one, Seattle going to be inviting the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson to Lumen Field for a Monday night battle that's sure to be an emotional one. What's new for the Broncos? We're going to be checking out their additions, departures, and draft class coming up here next on the show. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs as well as Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The first picks of the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft have been made. Search now for the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and get over 50 insiders, the Odyssey sports experts, draft experts of the Locked On NBA Big Board and more. The five-episode Ultimate NBA Mock Draft is underway. Make Ultimate NBA Mock Draft your second listen today. We've got a really exciting battle coming up in week one. We're going to be breaking down all of Seattle's upcoming opponents for the 2022 season over the next couple of weeks. So how fitting is it that we kick it off with the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson under center with his new team after being traded away by the Seahawks a few months ago? He'll be returning to his old stomping grounds for his first game with the Denver Broncos, facing off against those same Seahawks in front of the 12s. We've talked about it several times, the anticipation. I don't know that there's been a game since the Super Bowl back in 2014 that has had this kind of hype because it's just such a different circumstance, Rob. We don't normally see star quarterbacks in their prime get traded to other teams. It just doesn't happen. And then for them to turn around and play against their old team in their first game with that new team, this is pretty much unprecedented. It's never happened before. And yet the Broncos are going to be coming to town with a team that has far more than just Russell Wilson. They had plenty of other talented players this offseason. They they absolutely did. Uh, you know, of course, one thing that they did not have much of an opportunity to add is uh, much through the draft because, of course, they traded, uh, you know, just a, a gauntlet of, uh, of draft picks to Seattle for Russell Wilson. But you can see the additions, at least those of you who are watching on YouTube, and thank you to all of you. But for those of you who are listening, the additions, of course, start off with Russell Wilson, but a huge addition as an edge rusher to perhaps replace Vaughn Miller uh, would be Randy Gregory, previously the Dallas Cowboys, another edge rusher. Billy Turner, former Green Bay Packers offensive lineman, likely to be starting at the right tackle position uh, for Denver. They also had DJ Jones, Kwan Williams, Nathaniel Hackett, of course, as the head coach, previously the offensive coordinator with the uh, Green Bay Packers. And, and that's one of the reasons why there is such excitement, of course, is the idea that the Denver made this trade and are, is pairing Russell Wilson with Hackett, an offensive-minded guru who by all accounts is going to let Russ cook and so it's going to be really exciting but at the same time as as big of a deal as it is for Nathaniel Hackett to be the incoming head coach in Denver I think one significant departure that a lot of the national media is not acknowledging Corbin um, and, and that is the departure of the defensive minded head coach in Vic Fangio and I would argue that Vic Fangio was not much help when it comes to developing a young quarterback and that's one of the reasons why Drew Locke is here is in Seattle and, and Wilson, of course, is in Denver, but he is brilliant when it comes to defense. And so while Russell Wilson, I think, might get a, be a little bit surprised by the caliber of defense that he might be facing in Seattle and a supercharged up fan base as well, greeting him back to, to Seattle. I also think that, uh, that the Denver Broncos are not going to have quite as fierce of a defense as what they've had over the last couple of years. And again, a huge part of that is, is the loss of Fangio. I mentioned before about Von Miller, obviously, is no longer in Denver uh, as well. Um, and they, they've had some additions and uh, some key additions, but some key departures uh, as well that really has Denver Broncos looking like an awful different football team than they did just a year ago. 
Yeah, there's still a lot of talent on that defense, but the question is going to be, do they have the coaches in place to maximize that talent with Vic Fangio and his staff no longer being in the Mile High City? I think when you look at those additions, everybody's going to talk about Russell Wilson, and they're going to talk about Randy Gregory. And Gregory's been suspended several times. He's missed extended periods of time uh, with substance-related issues. But when he's been healthy and when he's been active, He's been very disruptive. So they're taking that gamble that he's going to be able to stay out of trouble. If he can, you pit him with Bradley Chubb, and that's two really good edge rushers that can pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. A little different skill set, but they're both very effective. I think the underrated signing they made is DJ Jones in the middle because you and I both know when the Seahawks have played the 49ers, Jones has been a nightmare in the interior. He's not been Aaron Donald by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been a very disrupted defensive tackle that gets pressure on the quarterback, blows up running plays. So I think that was an underrated addition for them to that defense with some of the other players that they have. I think linebacker, the middle of their defense, is probably still the biggest weakness on this defense, but they've still got some talent there. There's talent at all three levels. Again, every team in the AFC West could be – a champion in that division if things play out right it is a loaded division it's the best division in football adding Russell Wilson to the mix certainly makes this team a contender in the division as well as the AFC what's interesting is you mentioned they traded their first round pick to Seattle to get Russell Wilson they also traded one of their second round picks they still made nine selections though in the draft even after giving those picks up they had a couple fourth round picks and they did add some guys that I think you and I would agree have a chance to be impact players on day one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the biggest one would be the pass rusher, Nick Benito. I mean, we talked about him in our, you know, previewing the draft um, from a Seahawks perspective. Uh, Benito, the edge rusher from Oklahoma, just his quick twitch, uh, his uh, lateral agility, be able to make people miss. Um, you know, he is just dynamic in that regard. I mean, there, there are some Von Miller-esque kind of uh, plays from him on tape. Um, so he is very good in that regard, but at the same time, you can run right down his throat. Um, he does not have the, the power in his back half to, to be able to anchor down. And, and so that's, I think, something that Seattle is going to try to take full advantage of, um, you know, and, and, and other teams will, uh, of course, as well. But Benito is the one that I would definitely mention. That The tight end, Greg Dulcich from UCLA, is, is a good football player. But as we talked about before, that is, you know, something that Seattle or that Russell Wilson has struggled uh, to capitalize on as an athletic tight end uh, in the past. Damari Mathis, the cornerback, actually, is one of the guys that I wanted to mention because – Again, another player who I think is going to hurt more than uh, than some out there think, and, and that would be the the loss of the uh, the, the cornerback. Excuse me, Kyle Fuller, um, and and the fact that he is no longer in Denver. I know that Patrick Sertan was absolutely spectacular last year. Kareem Jackson's a good football player. Certainly, Justin Simmons. That secondary is still absolutely loaded, but. Uh, at the same time, I think that, again, Denver has made some significant transitions on that defense, and I don't expect it to be quite as good as it has been. You mentioned DJ Jones, a player I'm very high on, um, but at the same time, I felt like Denver already had that guy. Now he's one of Seattle's guys in, in Shelby Harris. Well, I think that's one of the reasons it's a big addition because that's a huge loss for your defensive line. Shelby Harris yep. has been one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the yep. NFL for the last four or five years. 
And so trying to fill those shoes is easier said than done. This wasn't a great draft class for defensive tackles either. So to be able to go out and get a player like Jones, who is still a pretty young player, has had a few injuries, but when he's been healthy, has been very effective, seems to be coming into his own at his best season as a pro a year ago for the 49ers then that's certainly an interesting addition. But I would agree with you. Benito, to me, has the best chance to be an impact player, and you would expect that being their highest pick. He isn't going to be an every-down player, though. He's going to be a situational pass rusher, one that could be very efficient with his opportunities, though, because when he can pin his ears back and turn the corner, he does play with underrated power at times, but speed and quickness, that's what his game is predicated on. It has to be with his size. Dulcich is going to get his opportunities if Russell Wilson throws the ball to tight ends more often. You know, with Noah Fant not being there, he's got a chance to get some significant snaps. And as you mentioned, Math is a player that that secondary, they've got some really good young players like Patrick Sertan, but there may be an opportunity there for a player like Mathis to carve out some type of role in the secondary. And real quick, I want to give a shout out to the fifth round pick, Luke Wattenberg, the center out of Washington. I don't expect that he's going to be playing any snaps on that offensive line right away. I mean, they drafted Quinn Miners, one of our personal favorites last year out of Wisconsin Whitewater. So I would expect Miners is going to have a real shot to be the guy moving forward. But Wattenberg, a lot of people thought might not even get drafted or he'd be a sixth or seventh round pick getting selecting the fifth round, a guy that has played a ton of football at the college level. He gives them really good insurance at the center position. Maybe he could play some guard in the NFL as well. So really solid mid-day three selection for them. Not having a ton of picks, they were still able to go out and get some impact players. But as you and I both know, if the Broncos are going to make noise, it's not going to be because of the rookies that they've got coming in. It's going to be all about Russell Wilson cooking on offense, the returning stars they have on defense, and of course, the receivers and the weaponry that they have around Russell Wilson. And that's what makes this team maybe the most fascinating to watch going into this year. Cause there is some uncertainty when you bring in a new quarterback with all these different weapons, but if everything comes together, this team could be a real force in the AFC West. No, no question about it. I think mean, they are being bandied about as a possible Super Bowl team. And I think for good reason, this is a good team. I just think that they are a team that's likely to get better as the year goes on, as Russell Wilson develops some rapport. I still think he's an absolute superstar. And the Broncos have, of course, some uh, you know some skill position talent to take full advantage of that. At the same time, they have an offensive line that is not used to blocking for a quarterback like this. Seattle's defenders actually are going to be more used to the little shimmy and shake kind of moves that Russell Wilson likes to do within the offensive linemen who are going to be blocking for him do within the wide receivers who are going to have to adjust the routes because Wilson is working his magic back there. So that's why I think that Denver could be very good in the long term this upcoming season. I don't know that they're going to walk out and and hit the ground running quite as explosively as people might anticipate because of the fact that, again, it is a new quarterback. It is a new offensive uh, play caller in the, in the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. T- things take time. Yeah, they do. These things take time, and I think that this is the ultimate case study. As I mentioned, this is an unprecedented situation. There's never been a star player in his prime in the quarterback position like Russell Wilson that gets moved to another team and then right away game one is playing against his former team. Like that has never happened before. So we don't know who really has the advantage. Will it be Pete Carroll who's coached him and is a defensive coach? Or is it going to be Russell Wilson playing in an offense that is centered around him with the weapons and really rejuvenated playing in the mile high city. Nobody knows. And that's really what adds to the intrigue with this matchup that is going to continue to mount in anticipation as we get closer 
to the month of September, the start of the season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown looking at numbers 85 through 81, and we're going to be launching a new off-season series. We're bringing back back our What If series. Last year, we looked at Warren Moon signing in 1984, Steve Hutchinson getting the franchise tag instead of the transition tag. We're going to bust out some new What Ifs for the 2022 off-season starting on tomorrow's show. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.